Good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution, not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah, best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome, welcome. Welcome back if you've been here before. And also a warm welcome if this is your first time here listening with us. I'm really glad to be here with you. And here we are. It's Labor Day weekend in the U.S., the last unofficial weekend of summer. 
And it's fitting that today we also have the last episode in our summer series here on the podcast on women's yoga and meditation. And I've been sharing this series to highlight a more feminine approach to spirituality and often buried feminine spiritual lineages. And both of these things are deeply important to me. That's what this podcast is about. It's what my books are about, what my work is about. And it's also what's highlighted and just emphasized in my upcoming online women's yoga and meditation teacher training. This is a 200-hour Yoga Alliance accredited training, and we meet over the course of four three-day weekends online between late September and early January. So if you feel called to help women heal and step into their potential through the tools of feminine embodiment and heart-mind training, please join us. We have a wonderful group of women forming so far, and registration is open for one more week. You can learn more and join us at womensyogateachertraining.com. That's womensyogateachertraining.com. And now for today's guest. We are really blessed to be speaking today with Susan Apotion, who's a fellow Boulderite here in Colorado. And Susan has been an inspiration and support to me for many years now. She has been teaching meditation, embodiment, and psychological wellness for decades. She published Natural Intelligence, Body-Mind Integration, and Human Development with Lippincott-Williams and Wilkins in 1999, and it has been in continual use since then. Body-Mind Psychotherapy, Principles, Techniques, and Practical Applications was published by W.W. Norton in 2004. And her new book, Heart Open, Body Awake, Four Steps to Embodied Spirituality, is now available through Shambhala Press. Susan consults and leads group online in both body-mind psychotherapy and embodied spirituality. Her latest book, Heart Open, Body Awake, just came out in late August, and it's just beautiful. And that's mainly what we are speaking about together today. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Susan Apotion. All right. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Sarah. It's good to see you again and good to have you here. Yeah, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to be here. And we always start our conversations with a bit of a personal check-in. So I would welcome you to share with us where you're joining us from today and how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Well, I'm um, here in Boulder, Colorado, as I think you are, too. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it's a sad time here in Colorado because we've got 
terrible air quality. Well, not terrible, but, you know, not great. And, um, and it's not from our own fires. It's all coming from the West Coast and, you know, seems like this is a pattern. So, so that's a little disconcerting for me. And um, I also have just had a cold. So <clears throat> the two don't go together very well. But other than that, I'm so excited to be here with you. And I'm so excited to have this new book coming out. And let me grab one. Uh, yeah. Here's, this is a, an advanced review copy. And uh, yeah, I'm excited you want to talk about it. Yeah. And for those who are listening and can't, can't see the cover, it's called Heart Open, Body Awake. Is that right? Yeah, heart open, body awake, the four steps of embodied spirituality. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's the old title. Current title is Four Steps to Embodied Spirituality. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Big difference. Big difference. Okay. Well, I look forward to talking more about that with you today. And I, yeah, I'm right there with you on the air quality. It's, it's like, I feel like this is going to be the new, the new normal, not just yeah. here, but around the world. Yeah. So yeah. given that and everything else that's happening in the world, just in your own life and just in the collective, I'm curious what, what things or activities, practices are helping you the most to stay resourced during this time? Yeah. Well, you know, I am... Um, in thinking about this interview and anticipating that you were going to ask a question like that, I, I just thought, wow, at this point, my, my life is, you know, kind of 24-7 practice. You know, I, I'm older. I am not working 40 hours anymore or 60 or, you know, any of the crazy things I used to do. And, um, you know, I have grandchildren and so I have enough space in my life that I can really practice most of the time. And, and that's a big part of this book is how do we find the practices that speak to us in the moment and that it's a very individual thing. So I guess right now, you know, again, coming back to the air, I'm looking out at the window. The sky is not really blue. It's kind of a pale gray blue. And, um, and maybe we can start with just a prayer for the earth. Would that be okay to do it together? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just sit up or... Extend your spine if you're laying down or if you're standing up, long back of the neck, straight shot out the crown of your head, long spine, open pelvic floor, energy able to move in and out as it wants to, up and down through your core. 
Feeling you and feeling what's true in you right now. And seeing if you're willing and wanting to open your heart with me to our beautiful planet, all of the creatures, all of the living beings. Ah, seen and unseen, the viruses, the microbes, as well as the trees and the whales and the dolphins. And all the humans, we're such a strange species. And we really do have a little bit bit of built-in craziness to us. Our minds just run off and lose their connection to now, lose their connection to this body, this moment, this place on the earth. So loving all of us, including the humans of us, and the crazy havoc that we humans are wreaking on our planet and on each other. Somehow, this is it. And how do we open our hearts and pray for each other and ourselves and the air and the water and the beautiful land. (sighs) Praying to be with what is now and praying to open more deeply so that we can shift away from wreaking havoc and toward healing and love and safety for everybody. Those of us that are on this podcast now have this incredible privilege of time and space and safety that allows us to listen. Can everyone, can all creatures, can all the elements on the planet have space to express themselves in health and beauty and truth so that we don't have to compromise so extremely? There will have to be a lot of compromising to get back into some kind of sustainable life, if that's possible. But holding some kind of pure being, whether you call it awareness or great spirit or God, Atman, whatever you call 
pure being that's within each and every one of us never goes away. How do we be with that and be with the surface chaos and confusion? Our own, each other's, and what we've created in the planet. May we learn to do this. Fully, deeply, and fast, as fast as we can. Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for offering that and for leading us through that important. Yeah. And just moving, moving forward to talk about your new book, which is your third book. And again, it's called Heart Open, Body Awake, Four Steps to Embodied Spirituality. And at the time that this podcast comes out, it will have been released for two weeks. It comes out on August 24th. Is that right? Something like that. Something in the 20s. I was thinking 29, but... Okay. Who knows? Late, late August, but it'll be out by the time this this is released. And it's a beautiful book. I loved um, getting to know you better and your practice better through reading it. And to introduce it, I want to read a quote about how this book came into being. Is it okay if I read your words for you? Oh, please. Yeah. Okay. Over the last 20 years of study and practice, I published two books that dealt with body-mind integration and its applications in psychotherapy. After finishing my second book, I felt ready to write about how spirituality was a hidden key to understanding the paradox of our humanity, which somehow spans the animal and the divine. I dreamed of a book that would reveal the profundity of our human drive to unite those polarities, body and mind, creaturely and spiritual. Necessarily, it would open and close with a study of what I've come to believe is the essential link between body and spirit, the human heart. It is this book that you hold in your hands. I love that the heart is the central focus of this book. Um, In my own life, just the heart, my heart has been the center. And I think that really all, all spiritual paths lead us to the heart. And I know it's a vast topic, uh, but can you share with us how the heart has this link between body and spirit, creaturely and divine, came to be of such interest to you? Well, you know, I am, I, as a child, really protected my heart. I was in a pretty dysfunctional situation in my family. And, um, and I remember looking around at the world and thinking, 
I don't even get why these people are all alive. They seem so miserable. I might have said some of this in the book. I can't remember. And um, so my heart was pretty pulled back and my shoulders were elevated. And, you know, on a physical level, I was really protecting my heart. And emotionally, I was very protected in my heart. I, um, someone told me I was the most cynical eight-year-old they'd ever met. And, you know, that left an impression. <laughs> yeah, I think I was proud of it at the time. But, you know, slowly, slowly over the years, especially becoming a mother, my second child had this incredible love pouring out of her. And she taught me how to love. She taught us all how to love. And um, I remember learning, you know, I remember opening. I remember just laying there with her pressed against me and feeling the love. You know, we didn't have that expression back then, but that was the expression I would have used if we'd had it. And, And I remember sometime around that time, getting a book, I think it was in some kind of like energetic medicine or something like that. And there was a chapter titled, What's So Special About the Heart? And I I started thinking from reading that chapter title, I don't even remember anything about the book except that title. And, um, And so then it was just a question for a long time, for decades, as my heart opened, as my spine lengthened from all the heart protecting, and as I learned to be kind to myself and be kind to the people around me. And, you know, I was a therapist and a teacher, and so I got lots of opportunity to practice working with myself and others. And, you know, you asked about practices and those are still two big practices. You know, how do we stay rooted in our core and open to connect to others rather than reach out of our core to connect? And for those of you on the podcast, I just you know, leaned way into the screen and my neck breaks its flow and my upper back is more curved and I'm pouring energy out rather than keeping energy rooted in my core and opening my awareness to include, in this case, you know, Sarah's image on my screen, but also the awareness of all of you listening in my psyche. So, you know, slowly, slowly, as I, as my body opened, as my heart opened, then I could just notice, you know, oh, my heart's open, my heart's closed, physically open and physically closed. And, and it started to irk me that, you know, everyone was talking about the heart so metaphorically. In fact, I recently had a conversation with a Buddhist practitioner that's a, a somatic practitioner a little bit too. And, 
And he is really afraid of anatomy because he thinks it's taking the mystery away from the whole body, but the heart as well. And, and um, after having read, I gave him the book to read. And, and um, I said, oh, there's still plenty of mystery. <laughs> No end to the mystery. No end to the mystery ever, ever. And the clarity, the moments of clarity that come through are so valuable. And to to be able to stay rooted in our physical core, including our heart, I think is, you know, the task of our times, personally. Yes, it's... I love the way that you just frame it all. It makes it so, it's like, it's so obvious, but it's also not. It's like, of course. Oh, when you say it, of course. Yeah. That's, that's what's most needed right now. And something that I also, I mean, that I love about your work so much is the embodiment, the embodiment, embodied spirituality, embodied, um, psychological healing and awareness and in the book you you include some exercises around accessing the physical heart I'm wondering if you can lead us through a short practice one of those practices yeah connect with our hearts more yeah I yes I'd love to and I like to just start at the very beginning um so If you press in between your collarbones, you find um, what's called the sternal notch, the top of your sternum. And then just kind of run your hands down your breastbone, your sternum. So that's right at the center of your chest. And what most people don't realize is that there's heart behind the whole thing. We have this habit of putting our hands to the left of our chest to feel our heartbeat. And there is a little bit stronger heartbeat over there. But there's heart behind the whole sternum. And there's heart to the right of the sternum. Yeah. And it's pretty much, you know... The lungs are wrapping around the heart, but the the middle of the heart is exposed behind the sternum there. And the sternum then is, is a protection, you know, a physical protection for the heart that's right there behind our breastbone. So just put your hand on your sternum and just feel what you feel. Feel your breath coming and going. Feel your heartbeat. And that's really the most important practice is to just cultivate an awareness of the heart. A beginning practice that you can work with over time is just checking in and noticing when your heart's more open and when your heart's more closed. So, you know, think of 
a person or a situation that angers you right now and feel what your heart does in response to that. (sighs) My heart kind of armors up, gets on its high horse. And then soften and breathe and see if you can open again. So, you know, it it doesn't take most people long to be able to detect those shifts of opening and closing. And let's just try one more. Um, Think about someone or something that you just adore and it's easy. Pets work well. Beautiful places in the world. And feel the feeling of your heart opening to that thought. If you're not aware of that feeling, that's fine. And if you want to pursue it, you can just keep checking in like this. You know, if you, and you can track it if you want. You could write a little bit about it. You know, you could make, keep a little journal entry of, you know, this happened, checked in with my heart. I think it might have been closed, but I can't really tell. And it it doesn't take most people long, maybe a couple weeks of that. And then, uh, yeah, then you have a lifelong skill that, you know, I think really serves Once people have that skill, then, you know, when they're in the middle of like hell, you know, they're, they're about to get a divorce or, you know, they're just furious or, you know, terrified, you know, then they can feel their hearts and give their hearts permission. And that um, usually helps us relax and open and get through it more quickly. Again, it's such a it's such a seemingly basic practice, and it's also very advanced. Yeah, and, if, and like you said, it's like the kind of practice that we can weave in throughout our days, and just just be aware: how is my heart? Yeah. And have you ever used any of the Heart Math Heart Math Institutes? Um, I use their. I forget what it's called. It's some, some sort of tracker to track heart coherence where you clip it to your ear. I've never done, I, I did it when it first came out. The I, I read the books. I never got any yeah. of the paraphernalia, but that was, that was very helpful to me. Yeah. Um, and their research, which, you know, some people will discount their research, but it seemed pretty straightforward to me. I don't think they were fabricating it that, You know, when I'm aware of my heart, then my heart will entrain my brain and and it will entrain your brain and your heart too. And if we're both aware of our hearts, then all four get entrained in a beautiful, um, irregular synchrony. So I thought, I thought that was just irrefutable and, uh, And it's always fascinated me. You know, I do believe that the heart is the center of our beings. In my first book, Natural Intelligence, 
I quote a Confucius translation, and um, it says that the heart's job is to articulate the subtle tones. No, I just reversed it. It's the brain's job to articulate the subtle tones coming from the heart. Mm. And um, that taught me so much, that quote. I so often am taught by old Confucian or Taoist writings. You know, it seems like they understood everything about embodied spirituality. Yeah. And, you know, so from that point of view, I, at that point, so that book came out, I think in 99. When I, when I, when I was writing that book, I was a hundred percent sure that the heart's the center and the leader and the brain should be a consultant and a follower. And then in my second book, I had, I think a whole chapter on the brain body partnership. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of backing off a little bit from the heart in the, in the writing of it, just to make it more accessible scientifically. But, you know, I, I've been convinced for decades that the brain is the consultant and the heart is the wise center. I'd like to take a short break from our conversation. September is always such a season of change. It's back to school time. The seasons are shifting. And to honor these changes, I'm hosting an online two-and-a-half-hour Women's Equinox Retreat on Friday, September 17th from 9.30 in the morning to 12 o'clock in the afternoon. That's Denver Mountain Time. And for those who can't attend live, a replay will be available for seven days afterwards. And earth-based spiritual traditions, more feminine spiritual traditions throughout time, have acknowledged that seasonal shifts are powerful times to pause, reflect, and reset as needed. So I invite you to join me in doing just this with a community of women from around the world. We'll enjoy embodiment and meditation practices, as well as women's circle time and seasonal journaling and reflections to get clear as we move into a new season together. All levels of experience are welcome, and you can join us at womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash sept retreat. That's S-E-P-T retreat, short for September. womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash sept retreat. And the link to that will also be in the show notes. I hope to see you there. And now back to our conversation with Susan Apotion. And when we when we open our hearts and get into heart coherence, like HeartMath calls it heart coherence, it actually it improves our immune system. It's like it benefits everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 
more and more in my personal spiritual practice, which has been primarily Buddhist, but lots of forays into everything else, um, it just seems to all come back to being in our hearts and opening. Yeah. However we articulate the words. And so that's why in this new book, Heart Open, Body Awake, I talk about the unitive state so that, you know, even for those that don't want to think that there's a higher power or a greater wisdom, at least we can acknowledge that we all innately have the state, crave the state of union where we're not just our small self walled off by all of our personal petty daily concerns that we can open our hearts and from that open out into this larger, greater universe and that it doesn't have to be a sectarian thing. You know, we don't have to cling so intently to the best way, the right way, you know, my way, your way that we can just know that we're all going to, you know, get there one way or another if we want to. And let's talk about this term embodiment, because I know it's it's a big buzzword in the, the wellness community, the wellness industry, we could even say. And I, I'd love for you to share with us how you define embodiment. I found that interesting in your book. And, um, and just to define for us as well, what is embodied spirituality? Mm-hmm. Well, so embodiment, you know, when I first started using the word in the 80s, there were, people weren't really using it. I mean, of course, some people were, but, you know, we didn't have the internet and I wasn't hearing other people use it and wasn't hearing about that. And, um, and the argument that people had right away with this word, and I got a lot of um, backlash from the more scientific, psychotherapeutic, and um, male psychotherapy community. Uh, and they, were, they said, well, everybody has bodies, so we're all embodied. And... Yes, we all have bodies, but how fully are we inhabiting our bodies? So then I go to infants and animals. And I, you know, I think of like, you know, a huge wild cat, just like, And I say, okay, if that's 100% embodiment, then where am I at? You know, and so if I ask myself that question right now, you know, I'm definitely a little weary from being sick. You know, I get maybe 75, 80%, you know. I I rarely think I get up much above 85%. 
And I rarely see people that I think are going much beyond that. I watched this um, 19-year-old Washington State Olympian canoeist that won the gold medal. Can't remember her name. Very amazing. This girl is in her canoe and she is just paddling like an animal. And you see her spine just completely, you know, and she keeps it up the whole race and she wins the gold. And, you know, physically she was a hundred percent embodied, but emotionally, spiritually, she had to, you know, she, they were tuned out. Her being at the deepest level, maybe at the deepest level wasn't tuned out, but, you know, at some of the deeper levels, she had to just focus on the canoeing. So it wasn't, you know, 100%, even though on a body level, it was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. We have this ability to censor, you know, in the frontal lobe of our cerebral cortex. We're, you know, all the neurons in the whole cortex are inhibitory seven cells down. So their whole job is to say, no, don't go there. No, don't do that. No, don't say that. No, that didn't happen. No, that's not true. Seven cells deep on the surface. That's their whole job. That's that's the cortex. When we talk about the cortical brain, all it does is inhibit. That's kind of intense to say that out loud. And I think, well, somebody's going to say that's not true, but I'm 99% sure it is. You know, then you get on the brainstem in the very center and it's all excitatory. So it's just sending out, yes, do it, yes, do it, do this, do that, do this, do that. And thus, you know, the human dilemma is born. I mean, all animals have inhibitory neurons, but we just have more. And our brains are set up in a way where they're easier to distort for better and for worse, you know, we, we can make beautiful art. Yeah. It's a, that comes back to, yeah, that conundrum between the, the human and the, the divine and just this paradox that we're in of just having all this expression and having, having the, this inhibitory response, clamping it down and the tension that that can create inside. Yeah. Well, just even the, that phrase clamping it down, you know, because that's what we've done with it culturally. Yes. That's where we spiraled it. Now I have to release that because it's always there, that tendency to clamp myself down, to want to clamp others down, to control, to change. And at the same time, then, how do we let the inhibitory neurons be wise and be gentle and, you know, say, you know, okay, honey, just slow down. It's okay. I hear you. I really don't think we're going to go there right now. Let the energy come up. Let it move through. 
but let's not just react. Let's not just yell at somebody or let our trauma response, you know, run amok in some way, control us so that we run sobbing from the room or whatever it is. How do we let the inhibitory neurons and our whole domesticated, civilized animal self be beautiful and gracious and loving and kind and helpful? And we really do need to stop clamping down on ourselves and on each other. Yeah. So you, in this book, you speak of four stages of embodied spirituality. And I know that's, you know, your book is about these four stages, but I'm wondering if you can just briefly uh, name what they are and how they, they connect and interconnect with one another. Yeah. I don't think I say stages. I hope I don't. I think I say steps because they're not linear. They're not predictable between one person and another, but they're elements that um, I think are essential. And I, I think I see them in many, many, many people's lives and their work and their approach. So I'm not saying there's anything new about any of this. Um, the first step is opening and specifically opening the heart, but also then opening our whole beings so that we ultimately can live in this larger unitive state and not have to um, resort to the small self as frequently as most of us do. Now, that's not to say that we, you know, neglect our small self or try to jump out of it or do some kind of spiritual bypass, you know. We have to do the work to be able to open past ourselves. And that means first attending to the small, quiet, internal voices that are not happy and need help. But so that, so as you can see, there are many, 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 many stages of opening. And um, do we ever arrive at openness and just stay there? You know, I've met so many spiritual teachers in my life and I haven't met anybody that I felt just stayed in beingness, just was resting continuously in open love, you know? But we'll just have to keep trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the first step is opening. And then the second step is feeling. I think that's right, isn't it? I think so. I don't yeah. have a book in front of me. <laughs> I won't bother to look it up. I'm, I'm mostly sure. So feeling our bodies, feeling our hearts, 
feeling our responses to the world, to each other, our emotions, relationship, so much feeling to be done. And to constantly, to, you know, again, like with the opening, to get to the point where there's not a huge backlog of feeling anymore that, you know, unfelt emotions from childhood that need attention. And, you know, you know, we give them attention and we give them attention again. But at a certain point, we kind of have invited everybody to the table, you know, and um, there's a way psychologically that we can just get stuck in cycling through, cycling through, cycling through, where it's never enough because it isn't ever enough. But at the same time, when is everybody participating enough to say, yes, I want to feel more not just keep cycling through these old feelings and old patterns. So, um, you know, feeling is the embodiment piece, right? It's like endless in embodied spirituality and it's endless in the book and it's endless in my life. And I think for anybody who really embraces their bodies as a path to wisdom, then feeling is, you know, just a constantly unfolding path before us. And it's also so central to connecting with our hearts. To literally feeling our embodied hearts. Yeah. Yeah, and that also relates to this, um, you talk about this resensitization of just the practice of tracking sensation, yeah. And sensation and body, sensation and the emotional body. Yeah. And how just crucial that is to, to our embodied spirituality, to our aliveness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a it's a big political decision, really, because um culturally we're supposed to be tough we're supposed to ignore a lot and i'm not advocating for just being a pool of emotional um reactivity but in order to really be fully sensitive to tune our instrument to its greatest potential then we have to be willing to be sensitive. We have to be willing, you know, to cry easily. I mean, that's a, that's a big bottom line, you know. I don't want to cry, I don't want to cry, I don't want to cry. Well, then if you're not going to cry now, then you're not going to feel, and you're probably going to cry harder because you're trying not to cry, and you're not going to reap the maximum teaching from this moment we have to open to our tears we have to open to our fears I had this tiny little car accident it was about 20 years ago it was on a a short little block residential block I was stopped at the stop sign and I saw in my rearview mirror this person come around the corner and he couldn't break. There was ice 
on the road. It was all ice. And he slid right into me, trying to brake for a whole block, and hit me from the rear, rear-ended me. And I saw it was a young person. I mean, it, he was probably 16 years old. He looked like he'd just gotten his license. He looked terrified. And I wanted to go out and help him, but I couldn't because I needed time myself first before I could get out of the car. So I was just leaning against the wheel and I was crying and I was feeling, I was trying to release my neck and my head and just let it all unwind before it set in. And, um, and the cop came and he knocked on my window and he said, lady, are you okay? And I said, I don't know. And he said, oh, lady, that was the easy question. <laughs> So, you know, it just takes a lot of gumption in those moments to just stick to your truth, even if it's not really an acceptable truth. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So that's, that's feeling. And then, um, let's see, open, feel, allow. I better look these up. (laughs) It's something like allow. Allow sounds right. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I got it. It's allow. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a crucial word because in the somatic world, we're manipulating the hell out of ourselves all the time. Like even the word open, that's a directive. Really, it means allow what it wants to open to open in its own way on its own time right? Just remember that option of opening. It's all got to be allowing or else we're just manipulating and adding more cortical top-down control, aggression, not being okay with what is, trying to get to what isn't, you know, into the whole factor. So allow, 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 you know, it's the it's the, the healing force of the universe. Yeah. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about how I feel like in the transition into midlife, like one, one of the hallmarks of that is really getting that we can't will our way through life. Absolutely. And that was, you know, that was one of the big learnings for me and just really laying down the will Mm -hmm. and, and allowing yielding. Yeah. And so now just one of my, the phrases I repeat to myself continually, whether it's in my meditation practice or when I'm feeling strong emotion or my mind is, you know, Mm -hmm. caught in one of its loops, it's just open, soften and allow. Yeah. Like not to try to will it to go away, but just, okay, let me just relax into, into this. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And try to discern what's emerging, you know, like sometimes I get stuck on the periphery, you know, and it's stuck on like, what's not right. And trying to get the square peg in the round hole and, you know, rather than like, okay, what's really going on here? What's the deepest level of allowing? Yeah. If I can listen deeply enough and discern 
what is this? Like, you know, with my cold that I had last week, you know, it was, it was a bad cold. I thought it was COVID, but it wasn't. Um, and, you know, I was just trying to understand why is this happening? Why is this so intense? And feel it on a deep level. And I couldn't, you know, I was too busy just like having a fever and having my head pound and, you know, <laughs> but I'm still listening for that question. You know, why did that cold happen and what's coming in its wake? And, you know, trying to just feel the deepest emergence of my life, my path, our lives together, our paths as a species together. And how do we host that? You know, how do we witness it and allow it in all its fullness and in the essence of it, which, you know, has to have some truth and beauty. Yeah, so we have opening, feeling, allowing, and then what is the fourth step? And the fourth is connect. And it's really a loop with opening because when we open and we connect to each other, to the natural world around us, to ourselves, we're starting a flow that is potentially egoless. And so it will bring us back to that unitive state eventually if we let it, if we do our work, if we stay present. And then it's an open, continual flow. And this, to me, is a big, big missing piece in most approaches to spirituality that are not embodied. You know, because one of the many things that get thrown out, of, out with the bathwater in spirituality, you know, body, nature, relationship, emotions, trauma, healing, and, you know, connection, personal connection of relationship between humans, relationship of humans to other creatures, to nature altogether, to the universe, to the earth, to the sun, to the stars. So true. Yeah. And in that same vein of just like spiritual traditions that leave things out, you know, I, I, from your book, I understand that you, you're also a longtime student of Buddhism and which is a very patriarchal spiritual tradition. It, it has so many, so many gifts and so many benefits. Um, but I'm curious how the path has been for you of just absorbing the benefits of those teachings and those practices while being a feminine embodied being. Well, you know, I think for most of my life, I just did what we all did as young feminists is, you know, I'd have my feminist moment and then I just go back and submit to the patriarchy and not recognize that. And, um, you know, I'm not, I don't fault myself for that. 
you know, I was doing my best and I was pursuing what I wanted to pursue. In this case, you know, pursuing Buddhism, you know, it was mindless, frankly. You know, I just didn't look at all of the patriarchal issues. Or I'd look for a minute or I'd look enough to keep my daughters safe. Um, It's tricky. It was very tricky. There's not many options, you know, if you want to, if you want to really delve deep into spiritual practice, you know, where you don't have many places to look as a woman other than patriarchal traditions. Yes. I mean, that's the same way. Yeah. In academia, it's the same. In psychotherapy, it's the same. And it's still that way. They're still all predominantly patriarchal. And we're not, you know, people are beginning to speak up, but we're still listening to the patriarchy. We're still paying it money. We're still bowing down to it. And, um, and so now I, I you know, I, I've gotten to the point where I can minimize that. I'm really minimizing that. I don't want to condemn men. I don't want to condemn any particular man. But I also am not listening as much, you know, and I'm much more interested in listening to women and in women's experience. And... um, And, you know, I treasure the men that are interested in embodied spirituality and want to pursue it. And and I also acknowledge, you know, the appeal of a patriarchal, structured, hierarchical, delineated system. You know, people need that. They love that. I get it. And for me, embodied spirituality is not that. It is not anybody telling anybody else what to do. It's everybody pointing fingers and saying, you might want to check this out. And what's that like for you? And each of us letting our own truth be birthed from within us. And... You know, I'm just waking up more and more to my own addiction to the patriarchy and the addiction to power and being told what to do and thinking somebody else has the answers and pursuing that. Yeah, it's a it's a completely different paradigm. Yeah. And it comes back to the heart. And it does come back to the heart. The heart our hearts are our teachers and holds for each of us what we need to know. And when we can listen to that and feel that we we're guided, yeah. no one, nothing outside of us can tell us what our own hearts. can. no, no. You share a beautiful story towards the end of your book about the death of your mother-in-law. Hmm. And I'm wondering if you can share that story with us and 
why it was important for you to include it, particularly what death has to do with, with all these practices and everything we've been talking about. Hmm. Well, death is so essential to any spiritual practice at, at some point. You know, it may not be essential for someone at, at a certain point in their path, but just the idea of spirituality implies that there's something beyond physicality. And, you know, the possibility is that when we die, we emerge fully into that realm. So contemplating death, practicing death, making friends with death, it's so important, you know, I think, to uh, creating a whole discussion about spirituality. So I knew I had to talk about death, and I know how scary it is for people. So for me, this death was very humanizing for me and friendly and... um and it was, you know, very humanizing and, and friendly for our whole family. So, you know, I offered that story in the hopes that it would, you know, make death a little safer and more fun and more approachable. So my mother-in-law, I can't remember how much I share in the book, but um, my mother-in-law was in the hospital. It seemed like she was going to die there. She was going fast and we could bring her home or we could um, put her in a nursing facility. And I felt pretty confident she would just die in the nursing facility. She did not want to go, that was for sure. So we brought her home and we made it work, um, you know, which took some doing. And she loved it. And she proceeded to spend three and a half years, 23 hours a day in bed. And she was laying in bed and she'd moan and she'd talk to God and her parents. And the deal was if she wanted food, she had to get up. And if she, she had to get up and go to the bathroom and, you know, then, then we could continue. If we couldn't do those things, then, you know, we couldn't continue. So she made it work for three and a half years, just barely, just barely. And, but she was talking to God a lot of the time. And she was a recovered Catholic. She had spent seven years in analysis to try to leave the Catholic Church and had left. But it was still a little bit scary for her. But she, she spent three and a half years mostly talking to God and... Um, and when the time came for her to die, she went very slowly. It took two weeks. They thought it was going to be four days, you know, because she stopped drinking. And that's usually a four day is, that, is the estimate. And it took her two weeks. And then, you know, her breathing changed. And we had been sitting and doing practices. And my... Daughters were nine and 12 at that point, maybe 13, maybe 10 and 13, something like that. 
and um, we'd been doing practices and reading to her and and you know I said grandma's doing great now this part is for us to learn from her and my older daughter at 12 or 13 sat up and she said oh I know and she did not move for 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and that's how long it took and for 45 minutes my mother-in-law was doing kind of a breath of fire (sighs) but with a relaxed face and relaxed eyes and she was just gazing out lovingly and she would take our hands and touch her cheek while she did it and we were there and then the younger one said I'm going to go out and shoot some baskets and I said you know it's going to be any minute now right and she said I know that's why I'm going so she's out there shooting baskets and you could hear the clunk 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 (laughs) of the baskets and the other one's like "Mm, total concentration samadhi (laughs) And then she did it. The last breath came and it was biblical in my mind. It was golden apricot light and trumpets and just a steady ascension at this speed. And it felt like she just ascended and disappeared and was gone. And I was left behind just like, I want to go. I want to go too. I want to go with you, you know, and, you know, took a couple weeks to just come back to earth, Mm -hmm. (laughs) stay here. And then, you know, within a half an hour, we were in the kitchen and the kids were eating ice cream and giving each other piggyback rides and death was the normal thing. And, you know, it was terribly um, educative for me, you know, made death so much more human and safe and friendly and positive. It was such a positive death, so beautiful and made that whole grueling three and a half years so worth it to just be able to have this easy death. And, And, you know, a few years later, You know, somewhere in her 20s, my older daughter was saying to me, why are people so freaked out about death? And, you know, I don't know what I said. And she goes, you know, I've had a good life. If I were to die now, that would be okay. And I said, that's grandma, honey. Grandma gave you that. So beautiful. Yeah, that's normal. I I mean, normalizing it it's like we yeah we all done in yeah. <laughs> to be able to do it in your home like that with your your whole family yeah and the and the younger sport. kids and the friends would say can I see the grandma because we kept her for three days as is the buddhist um tradition and um I'd say well you have to call your mother and if you get permission yeah you can so they'd go in there and they'd sit with their body and what a, what a gift. Yeah, my husband would gift. go in there and talk to her and play music for her. And he'd come out and say, now that she's dead, she's the best mother anyone ever had. 
<laughs> I thought that was so funny. That's great. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. So that was a long-winded answer to your story request, but stories are meant to be long-winded. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah, good. And Susan, I'm curious if you can share with us what your current leading edge or growing edge is in your life or your practice or both. Well, I really, I think it really is connected to everything we've been talking about to, you know, kind of um, showing up for this book, showing up, you know, I've been authorized to teach Buddhism for decades, you know, and I, I did teach Buddhism and, you know, I might still again at some point in my life, um, 1984. So that's a long time, but I can't do it anymore right now. You know, I just feel like I really want to use this book. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be doing monthly gatherings and practicing together online. Um, everybody that's listening is invited. You can go on my website and um, find out about that. I, I just want for myself, I really want to get this, like that, you know, what does Mary Oliver say? You know, you don't have to circumambulate on your knees or, you know, that line, whatever it is, you know, I, I've spent so many years just diligently practicing hard, dedicated practice, finishing curricula after curricula, you know, just getting to the, the most advanced teachings and practices of everything that I've done, trying to understand, like, is there an answer out there that I don't have in here? You know, so I'm really ready to say, no, there is not. And there is not for any of us. It doesn't mean that we don't want to learn from each other and hear from each other and support each other and teach each other. Of course we do that. But how do we do it in a... Um, more mutual way and a more respectful way. And, and that's really my edge. And that's, you know, personally and professionally, that's what I'm here for right now. Mm. And it feels like really my last task. You know, I don't want to ever write another book again. I don't want to work that hard ever again. I work. Yeah, I have four grandchildren and that's, you know, the plan is that's it. And so, you know, everything else is accomplished but this. What, yeah, what a beautiful, what a beautiful edge to relax yeah. into. Yeah, thank you. And Susan, you mentioned that um, these online gatherings, and I'm wondering if you can share with listeners how they can find out more about you and if there are other things that you have coming up that you want to let them know about. And of course, your book is available everywhere books are sold. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's all on my website. I have a new website. It's um, susanapotion.com. Um, my old I'll website. Show notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Bodymindpsychotherapy.com leads into that now. So it's, you know, you can go in either way. And, um, and you'll see the Embodied Spirituality tab and and there's a discount for the book that I think is good through the middle of September, something like that. So you can get that code from the website and um, you can see these monthly gatherings under the Embodied Spirituality heading and um, they're, you know, open to everyone and they're is a fee, you know, I'm going to do a fee for now, but hopefully it'll get big enough that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a fee and there can just be a donation, but it's all, you know, pay as you can and, you know, partial scholarships are available. So we, you know, don't want money to be an obstacle and uh, yeah. So. Wonderful. Well, it's just it's been such a joy to connect with you today. And your book is beautiful. And Thank I'm you. just excited for it to get out into the world. And everyone listening, please go out and get your copy. And um, just many continued blessings, Susan, on all that you're living in, within yourself and for all of us in the world. Thank you for, for this work. Thank you, Sarah. I love being with you. I really appreciate the space that you create and um, your sensitivity and clarity and, yeah, openness. Thank you. Oh, and there's one more thing I want to say about these monthly gatherings. There's also, as part of that, there's going to be an embodied spirituality leadership training. And again, that's open to anybody. And the idea is just, you know, we'll do these eight meetings and then you'll be empowered to run groups, you know, in your own way, but using these materials as much or as little as they suit you. So wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my dear, you be well. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way, other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.